The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. 60 seconds after you die, can you imagine the other side, the unknown? Heaven is real, but so is hell. Imagine heaven. It's better than that. To be made new, forever changed, transformed, and ushered into His presence. The holy city of God. Finally knowing what it's like. What is life and light of eternity? Your soul will never die. So what awaits after all of this life? That is eternity. In Luke chapter 16, anyway, as we think about this, we saw last week, uh, there's a clear picture here of uh, a most basic truth that after we die, there are only two possible destinations. So as we begin to look at that, if we're judged by what we said uh, or what is said at most funerals, uh, you would think that everybody is going to end up in heaven eventually. Most funerals are that way. I heard a story about a guy that uh, his brother died and his brother was a notorious thief and he was uh, wanted by the law and he had all kinds of a record that were that was a uh, you know a mile long and he was a uh, part of the mafia and part of all these bad groups and just a terrible guy and his brother also uh, was about the same and he said uh, preacher when you preach his funeral you're gonna you tell it but he was a saint and the preacher said, well, I can't do that. And they said, well, you will do it or, or we'll kill you. So uh, the preacher got up at the funeral and said, uh, this guy was a terrible guy. Said he was a, a thief. He was known for robbery. He was a murderer. He was known for murder. <clears throat> he was a womanizer. Uh, he was a part of illegal gambling, illegal uh, drugs, but compared to his brother, he's a saint. <laughs> so uh, uh, at, at most funerals, that's what you get, isn't it? Uh, but for every American that believes that they were going to hell, according to Barna, there are 120 who believe they're going to heaven. Most anyone you talk to, uh, they plan to spend eternity in heaven. Just as a conversation, that's what they would say. Uh, In his book, uh, Heaven, Randy Alcorn, he makes a statement, Heaven is not our default destination. No one goes there automatically unless our sin problem is resolved. The only place we go is the true default destination, which is hell. Now, that's a true statement. It's not a popular statement. It's not a a statement we find pleasure in, but it's a true statement. Unless our sin problem is resolved, our destination is hell, and we receive that from birth. We receive that because we inherited a sinful nature, and because of that sinful nature, uh, that is our default location. And unless we address that sinful nature we have, and, and Jesus told Nicodemus that you have to be born again, which is a new nature put within us, and only through the Holy Spirit of God do we receive that, and only through the asking of forgiveness and asking for Christ to come, of, come into us are we born again with a new nature. 
then our destination is hell. So unless we surrender our lives to Christ, we're headed for hell. And, and you, you might already be saying, well, Jake, you said we were talking about heaven this morning. We are. And, and, but we've got to get there first. So let's turn to Luke chapter 16, and you're probably already there, over to, to verse 19. Luke 16 and down into verse 19. And uh, we're going to return to, or we're going to talk about the, the subject of how we can know we're going to be there at the, the very end of this sermon this morning. But Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, we read this last week, but I want to revisit there again, and we'll be there again next week in this same passage. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, you can go back to last week, and we, we study what all of this means, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried to the, by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the finger, dip his finger in water and come and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in his flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you're in torment. And verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from there to here cannot, nor can those from here pass to there. So, uh, we're going to look at the rich man next week and his torment in hell, but this morning we're going to examine the, the fate of Lazarus. As Lazarus died, and a second after he died, he woke up in Scripture. And in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, this is what Scripture tells us, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Folks, this morning we need to understand something. There's no purgatory, there's no limbo, there's no soul sleep. When we die and the body is separated from the spirit, the body remains. Y'all remember the nut that was left behind? You know, the body remains and, and the soul is, go, is gone. It, it, doesn't marry, it doesn't matter if your body is buried, if it's cremated, if it's lost at sea. The body remains, and, and if you think about it, uh, some people would say, well, uh, I wouldn't want to be cremated, or I don't want my body destroyed when I die. When I die. Well, if, if God can raise the dead, He can raise the dead, amen? It doesn't matter what state your body in, and if you think that, what about the martyrs that were burned at, at the stake? Would you say, well, they'll never be resurrected, because they were burned? That's not even in Scripture, that's what people come up with in their minds. And besides that, the Bible says this body, wait long enough, it's going to be dust anyway. So when we think about this, our spirit, dusts or ashes doesn't matter in our body. The scripture tells us that our, our dead bodies are committed to the grave. While they're in the grave, they'll return to dust. But our spirits go immediately either to heaven or hell. That's the important thing. Don't worry about this old body. Your old, this old body is gonna, it's gonna be rotten in a grave somewhere, or it's gonna be burnt up, or those are some lost at sea. Those, our body's gonna be gone, but our spirits are gonna live forever. 
they're immediately going to be in heaven or hell. And, and with our text, Lazarus and the rich man, they both have a conscience, understanding, experience immediately after they die. And we read about that experience. In our text, Lazarus here, we see what happens to him. And, and a couple of more scriptures, I want you to think about this, about us immediately being in the presence of God. You, 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 you can take one scripture and you can kind of make anything stand. But, but I want you to look at some more scripture, or at least hear some more scripture about this. Jesus told uh, the dying thief on the cross, remember what he told him? He said, today... You will be with me in paradise. We're going to talk more about that word in just a moment. Paul stated in Philippians 1.23 that to die was to be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul said this, To be absent from this body <clears throat> is to be present with the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the bodies of those believers who have died, uh, they await a day. Colton sings a song that talks about the, the trumpet sounding and and the midnight cry, and in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 7, it says there's going to be a day that the Lord's going to return with a shout, and it's going to be such a shout, it's going to wake up the dead. It's going to wake our bodies up, and, and our bodies are going to be reunited with our spirits and our soul, and we're going to dwell with the Lord forever. As that trumpet sounds, those graves are going to split open and, and these disintegrated bodies, they're going, to, they're going to come back together. They're going to be reformed, listen, in a glorified body. Isn't that great? No more Dunlap. Y'all don't know what that is? Come talk to me. Throwed me off my message over here. Our bodies, you know what I was thinking about? Uh, you remember Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones? Y'all remember that story? And the bones started rattling, and they started coming together. And the, the bones began to grow tendons, and the, and the bones began to be covered with skin. And uh, then the, the bodies was complete, and the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit of God breathed into them a life. At that resurrected moment, these, these dilapidated bodies, they're going to be reformed and they're going to be remade and they're going to be glorious bodies and they're going to be joined together with our spirit which has been alive with Christ from the time we've passed away. For hundreds of years, there's been Christians being buried and, and those bodies are going to be awakened and they're going to be put together as glorious bodies. And we'll be in the presence of our Lord and foundation. Our text today lays a foundation to us about what happens when our loved ones die. And, and the Bible teaches that before the ascension of Christ. Now, it's important that you get that word before. Before Christ ascended, there was a place that the souls of men and women went after death. This is before the, ascen the ascension of Christ. And, and that place is composed of, of three compartments. It's paradise or Adam's bosom. That's the same, okay? This is before the ascension of Christ. There's a great gulf. That's the second thing. And there's Hades. That's the third thing. So this is before the ascension of Christ. When someone died, if they were a, a believer in Christ, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment, the, the place that their souls went was a place of comfort. And, and it's often called paradise. When Lazarus dies, his body goes into the grave, his body to the grave. But 
to, to his soul goes to paradise. When the rich man dies, he goes to a place of torment. The Bible calls that Hades. So he goes to that place, and that's where the souls of the wicked dead go. So there's two places we see here. The rich man dies, he awakes in Hades, the place that, that all go that do not place their trust in God. And between paradise and Hades, there's this great gulf that's fixed. We just read about that in verse 26. So no one can cross either way. <clears throat> in other words, that's a picture of what eternity is. The, the place that you go after death, that's where you're going to spend eternity. <coughs> Frog getting me. So first off, the, immediate, the intermediate hell, let's talk about that just a little bit this morning. The unbelieving souls in Hades, they remain there in an intermediate hell. It's, it's not hell, and folks, you don't have to believe me on this. You can go study Word, and especially you can go over to Revelation, and it talks about, you know, there's no one in hell today. Satan and his followers will be the first cast there. That's what Revelation teaches. But... They go to a place of torment. Then one day in the future, after judgment, and, and after the, the, uh, the seven years of tribulation, and after the thousand-year reign, and when Christ comes again, and the Bible talks about face and judgment, he talks about a great white throne judgment. That's where unbelievers go. Christians will never stand at the great white throne judgment. Unbelievers go there, and they're judged, and the inhabitants of Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. That's the permanent hell. When you read in Revelation, it talks about Satan will be judged, his followers be judged, and they'll be the first cast into hell, and then those in Hades will be judged and will follow. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what Hades is. That's, that's a, place, a place of torment, the Bible calls it. It's not hell, but it's the place of torment. That's where we find the rich man. We're going to talk more about that next week. Now we're going to talk about the intermediate paradise. Every believer who died before the ascension of Christ. Don't miss that one point there. We're talking about before Christ died, was buried, rose again, and ascended to heaven. All of those who were believers before that time, they went to paradise. And, and their, their position remained unchanged. And, and paradise was just a place of peace, okay? Their, their position remained there, remained there until Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Now, you don't have to take my word for that. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, 8 through 10, we're going to read that in just a moment. But Jesus ascends to the Father. In the Old Testament, when a believer died, their bodies went to the grave, their soul went to, and spirit went to this place called paradise. And, and when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, and on the day of his ascension, something changed. Now, this is what affects us. Because here's what's changed. And if you read Ephesians 4, 8, 3, 8 through 10, we're told, Therefore, he says, when he, Jesus Christ, ascended on high, he led captive, captivity captive. Now, what in the world does that mean? Read it again. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And gave gifts to men. Now this, his ascension, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. 
All right, let me give you a picture of what this is talking about. In these days, a conquered king and all of his generals, when they were conquered by a, a, another uh, conqueror, another, another country, another government, a lot of the times they were usually tied together. They were tied together and they were led behind the chariot of the conqueror. They were bound to the chariot and they were also bound to the conqueror. And, and they walked them through the towns. In other words, you had the, the king that had the victory. He's going through the town and all the, all the people are cheering and he's in his big chariot and everybody's looking at him. And then behind him are the kings and the generals from the place that he had just conquered. They're chained together. They're chained to the chariot. And he's saying, hey, look, y'all look, I have complete victory over them. I have defeated them. I have, I have all of, they are my captives, and I have victory. So what's happening in this passage of Scripture where we're talking about before Christ ascended, we're talking about those who, who believed in God, and, and if you go to Hebrews 11, it says it was a credit to them their salvation by their faith, okay? They didn't have Jesus Christ as we have, okay? They, they did know about Christ because the Old Testament's pointing towards Christ, and they believed in Christ through faith. So this says Jesus Christ, when He ascended, He came back and He claimed those who Satan claimed to have victory over. What does the Bible teach about the law? It teaches that we are bound by the law, but we're free in Christ. So see, in the Old Testament, before they had Christ, they believed in God and they believed in Jesus Christ, but they were still bound by the law. So Jesus Christ came, He took captivity captive. See what that picture is? The generals that won the, that, that won the battle, they have, they have these people captive. Jesus said, I came and I took those who were captivated, those who were, who were, who were, who Satan had, had held captive. And I took that and I captured that and I brought them to heaven. What does that mean? Jesus said, I have full victory. I won the victory. I've taken those who were held captive and I've taken them and now they're with me in heaven. No longer, folks, is there a paradise. He emptied it. He emptied those that were held captive by the old law and by sin and by Satan and, and they had believed by their faith and He said, now I've taken them. I ascended into heaven and I came back and I took those who were held captive and I brought them. So when we think about paradise, we need to understand there's no longer an intermediate heaven. Christ took the Old Testament saints that were there in that place we call paradise and He moved them as believers into heaven. So today when we die, after the, the age of grace that we're in, we're not under the age of law, we're in the age of grace now. When we die, our spirit and soul immediately goes to the Lord. We immediately go to heaven. Here's the thing, heaven, that's our, that's our final destination, but God has a new thing coming. He has a new heaven and a new earth. And this earth is going to pass away after the tribulation, after the thousand year reigns. The Bible says all of these things are going to be destroyed and I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And my people are going to go and we're going to rule and we're going to reign and, and we're going to live with Him for eternity. So we need to understand there's not a place, uh, an intermediate place that we go today. When we die, as Paul said, to be absent from this body is to be with God in heaven. 
But there's another heaven coming. So what does this heaven look like? And, and I want to I answer three questions with the time that we have left this morning. And, and these three things is heaven, what is it? Heaven, what will we do when we get there? And how do we get there? And I want to, in the next about ten minutes, cover all these things. First, heaven, what's it like? According to Randy Alcorn, if, if, you, if you want some more uh, great reading on heaven, <clears throat> Randy Alcorn wrote a book, and it's just entitled Heaven. We have it in our library. You're welcome to take it. I, I have a copy there at the house, and I actually have a copy out of our library in my office right now. But, but you're, 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 you're willing to take it and read it. Folks, here's the bad part. It's about this thick and don't have any pictures. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just all reading. But, but boy, once you get in it, it's some good reading. And, and it really opens up your mind to what, to what heaven is like. But, but in his book, Heaven, he points out that, that heaven, uh, when we, we start talking about and reading about heaven, books are notorious about saying, you know, there's not much written on heaven. And people are notorious about saying, you know, we, we really can't know much about heaven. And that is so false, folks. There's a lot that has to do in the Bible about heaven. And some people use these, war, these, these scriptures here to support that. In, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, <coughs> a lot of times they quote, "...eye has not seen, or ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him." The problem with interpreting that passage as meaning we can't know about heaven is, is they don't consider the rest of the passage. You know, I said a while ago you can take one scripture and you can make it stand. Well, if you take it all together, look at what 1 Corinthians 2.10, it goes on to say, but God has revealed them to us through His Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So Paul says, yeah, we can't fathom, but through the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God, he begins to explain to us what heaven's like. And we can start getting an understanding about heaven enough to understand it and anticipate being there. If we just take some time to study, others use 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, where it says that Paul was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words which was not lawful for a man to utter. You know, really that doesn't say that it was, uh, it was something Paul couldn't talk about or couldn't explain. It just says he was forbidden to talk about those things. And, and in contrast, you remember when John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos? What did Jesus tell John? He said, I want you to take these words of revelation. I want you to write them down because they're just and they're true. So, no difference there. He told Paul, hey, I, I, you, you don't reveal the things that you're seeing at this point. And John, I want you to reveal all the things which I'm showing you at this point. When our time on earth is over, we go immediately and we start spending eternity in one of two destinations. Even, either heaven or hell. So, what's it going to look like? Let me back up here and just get ahead of myself again. Let's go, or here's a passage, you're probably familiar with this. John 14, 2. What is home like? Just think about, for some people, home's not a great place. For other people, home is a wonderful place. But heaven is described a lot of times as our home. And Jesus in, in John 14, 2 says, I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't say, I go to, to prepare an 
indescribable realm of of devoid physical properties where disembodied spirits will float around forever. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. And, and when we think of that, heaven is a real place prepared for real people created in God's image that will spend eternity. So, so what is heaven like? The term home, it, it's used to describe heaven. There's, there's more than a metaphor here. I think it describes a real, actual, physical place. And, and as it describes that physical place, think about what takes place there. A, a place in a home is for, for a, should be a place of comfort, a place of security, a place of, of refuge. It's a, it's a place of wonderful conversations. Aren't you looking forward to Christmas? When your family comes over and you have wonderful conversations and, and in those, those conversations you have meaningful meditations and you remember things of the past and you think about things of the future. It's a place of delicious meals. Amen? Oh, y'all like to eat as much as I do, I know. That's what heaven's like. You know, we know that. It says that we're going to be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's nothing we can think about other than that's going to be a place of, of a place of, of fellowship, a place of wonderful smells, wonderful food, wonderful opportunities to grow. That's what we see when we describe heaven. I want to, I want to describe briefly four things. What will we look like? Will we look like ourselves? Well, sure we will to a certain extent. I mean, we're going to have a new glorified body. We're going to look like ourselves, but we're going to be perfect. I mean, we're going to be perfect. Isn't that good news? Somebody ought to be jumping a pew out there. No, don't do that. We'll throw you out. But, But think about this. We need to get this in our heads once and for all. People do not become angels when we die. We don't float around on a cloud with little wings. We're going to be who we are New bodies, remember we just read that scripture that our bodies are going to be reunited and and we're going to be remade perfect. Angels were created as angels. We'll never be an angel. We'll be who we are. Will we know each other in heaven? Certainly we will. That's what the Bible teaches. That that we'll know each other. And If anything we know uh, uh, about each other, we'll know each other even better than we do now. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Elijah, there was Moses, there was the apostles, and they recognized everyone, including Jesus. I don't think they had name tags that said, Hi, I'm Moses. I think they immediately said, Hey, there's Elijah and here's Moses. Hey God, let's build three temples up here. See, they recognized those bodies which were in heaven, but they were brought back to this earth. We'll remember our lives on earth. I think we will. I think the Bible teaches that. One verse that's often uh, quoted to to prove that is Isaiah 65, 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Former things will pass away and shall not be remembered or come to mind. And also a scripture that says we won't remember is over in Jeremiah 31, 34 that says, I'll remember their sins no more. It means that God has chosen not to recall those things to mind. God has chosen not to hold those things against us in our past. He's saying, I'm going I'm to create a new heaven, a new earth. We're going to have new things, new things before us. I'm going to remember your sins no more. We're going to move forward. 
I think we'll recognize one another from our time on earth. Do those in heaven know what's happening on earth? Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? A lot of these things are out of Randy Alcorn's book here, but Hebrews 12.1 says, We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are spurring us on towards good works. When I read that, it tells us to run our race with perseverance, the race marked out before us, because we're surrounded by these witnesses who are urging us on. And I believe that that's what the Bible's teaching here, that that what's happening on earth, we have those great saints before us saying, you can do it! Go for it! God is with you and He's pushing you and, and they're urging us on. I believe that's what we see in heaven. There's a little poem that's that's entitled, Just Think, Just Think. Just think of stepping on the shore and finding heaven. Just think of taking hold of a hand and finding it's God's hand. Just think of breathing new air and finding it heavenly air. Just think of feeling invigorated and finding immortality. Just think of passing from storm and tempest until unbroken calm, and just think of walking in and finding it home. That's a picture of heaven. Just, just think of those things. If heaven's like home, then we need to understand what, 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 what's not is in our house, and, and the things that, that are in our house that we need to think away or do away with. We need to understand in heaven it's going to be all new things. I want to ask you this. You know, we describe heaven, if, if someone describes heaven to you, what would you say? Just think about this. I think some of us would say, well, it's, it's, uh, it's got these walls of jasper, and uh, it's got all of these stones around the gates, and oh, it's got, uh, it's got streets paved with gold. But when you, when you think about someone, and you're at a funeral, and someone says, you know, think about heaven, what do we think about we don't think about the gates. We don't think about the stones. We don't think about the, 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 the gold pavement. What do we think about? We think, oh, it's going to be wonderful. My loved one's going to be there. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Christ is going to be there. See, when we think about home, we don't think about a house. And we don't think about four walls. We think about friends and families and what made that home. And folks, when we think about heaven, we can understand that that's what heaven's like. It'll be like a place of home. Secondly, heaven, what will we do there? According to Time Magazine, we've already touched on this a little bit, 43% of Americans believe that we'll play harps in heaven. I don't know if that's a big harp or a juice harp, but they believe that we're going to play some type of harp. 36% of people think that we'll have halos in heaven. Harps and halos, they're never mentioned in the Bible. I mean, they're not there. (laughs) That's just something that that we've kind of come up with. Again, in the light of eternity, this is a different book written by Randy Alcorn. He says this, Make no mistake, and I believe some of us here would, would be thinking about this right now. You're sitting here thinking, how long we got till we're through? We've got about 11 minutes. And you're thinking, boy, is this what heaven's going to be like? (laughs) Somebody up there waving their arms and talking. And one of Satan's favorite techniques or tactics is feeding us an unworthy, 
dull, distorted view of heaven. He knows we'll lack motivation to tell others about Jesus when we view when our view of heaven isn't much better than our concept of hell. Nearly every Christian, a different book, Journey of Desire by John Eldridge, every, nearly every Christian I spoke with has some ideal that eternity is an unending church service. We have settled on the image of a never-ceasing sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and forever and forever. Amen. And our hearts sink forever and forever. That's it. That's the good news. And then we sigh and feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. And we lose heart. And we turn once again to the present to find what life we can. I believe that is a tool Satan uses. How boring must heaven be? What are we going to do? We're just going to float around and have halos and play harps and be in a, a, a million-year church service. That's not at all what heaven is going to be like. I believe that we'll be worshiping, but I don't believe that's all we'll be doing. I believe one of the things that we'll be doing in heaven, we see in Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, Paul says, "...and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and the ages to come that He might show the exceeding riches of His grace, His kingdom, towards us in Christ Jesus. That word shows means to reveal. I believe a new heaven and a new earth is going to come and God is going to take us and He's going to reveal things that we never knew. You know, Corinthians says we see now through a mirror dimly lit, but once we're in heaven, we'll understand in full. I believe God will be sharing mysteries with us that we never knew. I believe we'll be here on earth. Paul Harvey talks about the rest of the story. I think the rest of the story is God is going to reveal things. We're going to have a new body. We're going to have a new earth. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Adam? I mean, he was going around every day experiencing God's creation. And he, he, he was looking at things that he had never seen before. And, and I can just imagine him saying, Eve, you've got to get over here and see this. Look at what I found over here. And, and her saying, no, you've got to come see this. And, and they're experiencing this together in God's creation. And the Bible says He's going to create for us a new earth. And we're going to live here and we're going to have adventures and we're going to have the pleasure of working. You say, oh no. Oh, it's going to be a joy. You ever been sick for two weeks and laid in the bed? What are you thinking? Oh, I've got to get out of this house and do something. I mean, I want to get out and work. Folks, we're going to work. There's going to be pleasures in working. There's not going to be any thistles and briars and hard ground. It's going to be a pleasure to work. God told Adam and Eve, work the garden. Work my creation. We're going to do all those works with no pains. We're going to be able to bend over and stand up and squat down and kneel down and all of those things because we're going to have a great created body that God has given us. There's so many things that we'll do in heaven, I think. It's hard for us to imagine. Here's the last thing this morning. Eight minutes left if you're wondering. How do we get there? How do we get there? An Indian uh, cemetery, and y'all have probably heard this before. I've heard it many times. had a tombstone over a hundred years old with the following inscription, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. And as I am now, so you will be 
So prepare for death and follow me. And an unknown passerby had scratched some additional words on the tombstone. It says, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. The sober news about heaven is that it's not true that all roads lead to heaven. That's not true. It's supremely important to make sure that we're going to heaven. It's supremely important to be sure that we have eternal life. It's supremely important to know that there's been a time that that you've said, God, I, I know I've failed. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus Christ. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to forgive me. And I want to have eternal life. And when we experience that from that day on, from that day on, we're headed for eternity in heaven. 1 John 5.13, we talked about last week. These things I write to you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's our choice. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone shall open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to close. We're going to have an invitation this morning. If there's some business you want to do with the Lord, you catch me or or any Christian you know. And they can help you. But this morning as we just think about heaven, it's more than we can imagine. A new body, perfect. A new place to experience the creations of God. That we can look around and He reveals to us daily things. For eternity, He's going to have new surprises, new things. Jake, you're stretching it. I'm not stretching it. You go read the Bible and you go study the Bible. And you allow the Holy Spirit of God to open your mind to what He has prepared for those who are His. Father, I pray this morning that Your Spirit would make Your words true and Your words real, and that You'd give us just a glimpse of heaven. And I pray this in Your name. Amen.